0: If you'll open your Bibles now to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. And as you do, I want to read a short passage from Isaiah, chapter 60. If you'll just keep looking for Genesis and listen here. It says, I rise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That prophecy in Isaiah 60, of course, is for the nation of Israel, as God has chosen them to be a light for the world, to bring truth to the world that is living in darkness. They are being told by the prophet that their wickedness and their sin is bringing upon them the wrath of God, but that he will one day bring them back to a place where they will be the light of the world. Abraham, as we find him in chapter 21, is living in Philistine country. God has sworn an oath to him, that every nation of the world is going to be blessed through his offspring. And today, we're going to see another example of God's faithfulness to his promise. That's what this is all about. I, I, I say it over and over because I want us to get it. Especially starting in chapter 12 of Genesis. What we're learning is history, of course. But we're learning about theology of covenant. Of what it means when God binds himself to humanity... What is expected of them and how faithful He is, even though we're not. So we're going to see again that God is faithful in upholding His promise that through Abraham, the nations are going to be blessed. Church, where are the nations? We're the Gentiles. Praise be to God that he has opened our eyes, that we can see light and that we have understanding and that we've been given the ability to have faith in our Messiah, that we can be hopeful of this eternal resurrection in which the light of the world will be our surroundings. (laughs) If you'll follow along with me. We're going to see how all that ties into this in just a little bit. Starting in verse 22 to the end of the chapter, it says this. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants, or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, Because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Let's pray. Our God, it is by your wisdom and your knowledge that we can read words and hear from heaven. I thank you that you are so kind to us, that you would not leave us in darkness, but that you would reveal to us truth, truth that sets us free. Father, I pray this morning as we all listen here that our ears will be opened Will you soften our hearts? Will you calm us and give us rest that you've promised? Lord, will you help us not to be distracted? Help us to fully concentrate and look to the Son, the Savior of the world. So God, will your words come out clearly that all of us may believe and be saved? In Jesus' name, amen. Abraham and Sarah, we read last week, have a baby. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) 25 years after the promise, they have a baby. The child of promise is finally here. And we hear uh, from last week that he's weaned now. A great feast has been held for this child. In all of this time, though, they're still sojourners. They're nomadic shepherds. Still, there is not one little plot of land in all of the land that has Abraham's name on it. He's been living in the land of his allies. And we found out last week he's now moved into the land of someone who's not his ally yet. This foreign king. The relationship between Abraham and Abimelech has been tumultuous, to say the least. If you remember last week, Abraham lied to him, deceived him about his wife. And because of that deception, God's wrath was upon Abimelech's household. And there had to be amends made. But since then, you know that the king has been keeping an eye on Abraham. Abraham's a wealthy man. It's hard for us to think inside that culture, a culture where people were were nomadic and and, and lived in in lands that weren't theirs and where the borders weren't quite as concrete as ours were. So he's living in this land ruled by Abimelech, but he is as powerful as a king. He has a great tribe of people. He has a lot of wealth. He has great power. His name has been made known in the area. And Abimelech is keeping an eye on him. And what he has seen with his eyes is a man who serves this God that he claims. And this God has been very, very good to him. He's just celebrated the birth of a child. At 100 years old, Abimelech took notice. This child has just been born to a mother who's 90 years old. The Philistines took notice of that. There's been a great party and celebration and talk about some promise that this God has, been made, has made with them and, and how he's fulfilling it. In his, in his observations, he understands that whoever this God is, he's very powerful. He's very real. And I wonder even if Abimelech is thinking, I haven't encountered my God like Abraham has encountered his. I haven't seen my God do things like Abraham's God has done things. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is it not? (laughs) All those who practice it have a good understanding, and his praise endures forever. And so Abimelech is understanding that Yahweh, Elohim, whatever the name of this God is, is a God that should be feared. He's heard about how Abraham went and conquered the kings of the east in the name of this God. He has seen how he has come out of Egypt richer than he went in because of this God. He has even encountered this God in a vision. God spoke to Abimelech and said, I'm going to put you to death and all of your women are going to be barren if you don't bless this prophet of mine and bring his wife back. It doesn't say that Abimelech wanted to have a covenant with Abraham because of Abraham's wealth. It didn't say that. It didn't say that he wanted a covenant with Abraham because Abraham seemed to be a man of authority and power and wisdom. It didn't say that. Abimelech desired a covenant with Abraham because, quite frankly, he was very scared of Abraham's God. That's why. And he knew that it was better to be on this God's good side than it was to be on this God's bad side. And if it meant being with the God's prophet, he was going to do that. So he makes a move, and he approaches Abraham, says, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to be allies with you. I want to be friends. <laughs> I, I don't want that, you, know, you to deal falsely with me again. There's a reason why he had to say that, Right? <laughs> Don't lie to me again, Abraham. Swear by your God that you will not treat me badly. He knows this God is real. And so they make a covenant together. He's hoping that his people will be blessed through this. He's hoping that he will be blessed through this. I mean, a lot of these people weren't you know, monotheists, they, they didn't believe in just one God, they believed in many gods, they believed every people group had their own God, there were, these gods were localized, and, you know, they would bless, you know, their people, you know, if they, if they were pleased, <laughs> um, and, and so he, he gladly recognized the God of Abraham, he says, I want that God on my side, and if it means being in a covenant with his prophet, I'm going to do that. It was an intelligent, wise move on the part of Abimelech. He feared the Lord. Whether it was for the right reasons or not, maybe that's up for debate. But he feared the Lord. This covenant is going to benefit both of them. For Abimelech will be on the right side of God, and Abraham is going to be able to live safely in the land. He's not going to be, uh, have any pressure against, from the king. He's not going to be threatened by the king. And we're going to find out here, all of his needs are going to be met. Water being number one. <laughs> Those people built their lives around water. You've got to have water. <laughs> but there's a problem. Abraham and his people had dug a well, and Abimelech's servants had stolen it, chased them off. Seized it, he says. He says, before we can have a covenant, Abimelech, we need to deal with this issue. I don't have water because your people stole it from me. Now, Abimelech, I don't know if this makes him look like a good king or not. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I, I'm a politician, yeah. And it very well may be that he didn't know anything about it. Which kind of questions his leadership, doesn't it? But he says, "I didn't know anything about this. I'm going to make it right." OK? But look, what's, what's really interesting here is starting in verse 27. All right, Abimelech's the king, Abraham's the foreigner. But Abraham suddenly takes the lead, as if he's the one who carries more authority. He presents the animals. He gives the sacrifices. He is the one that suddenly starts taking action. So it says that he took the sheep and the oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant together. We've seen this before. Covenants were not a rare thing back then. This is like a peace treaty, really. But they're they're now allies. So their friends are my friends. Your wealth is my wealth. You know, if I'm in danger, you come to my rescue. If you're in danger, I come to your rescue. Uh, We're there for one another like brothers. That's really what an ally was. And this really helped both sides, right? So they cut this covenant. That's really what it says. And Abraham and all of those animals sets apart seven lambs. It says, these seven lambs are now going to stand as witnesses that this is my well. Your people can't have it. You can't come and take it from me. Part of our deal is that I get to live here and have the water access. So they call the place Beersheba. Beersheba means well. Sheba is, means seven, meaning seven... The, For the seven lambs. But it's so close. It's like the word for oath. So some people call it. The well of oath. Some people call Beersheba. The well of seven. Because of that word. And so they. Are now. At peace. Before God. They make this covenant together. A Abimelech is safe from any sort of threat that Abraham might be. He's on the safe side of Abraham's God. And Abraham has land for his people and for his flocks, and he has water. Seems like a good deal for both. And we can finish the chapter and go, well, that was a neat story. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? Abimelech received the security of safety and God's blessing. On his kingdom because of the presence of Abraham. Start with that. Abimelech receives blessing because Abraham is in his land. Not because there's anything special about Abraham except that God has chosen him. And he has made a covenant with him. So the covenant that God has with Abraham is now overflowing to bless what we would call Gentile nations. We're already seeing gospel, aren't we? We're already seeing it. That all of the nations were in view as we saw in Egypt. And now we see in the Philistines that the Abrahamic covenant is there to bless the world. We're seeing it on a very local, very small level of what will be in Christ. I don't know anything about Abimelech's faith. So we don't want to go too far. I don't know and I don't think that Abimelech joined in in the Abrahamic covenant itself. It doesn't mention his faith. It doesn't mention that Abimelech went home and circumcised all the males of his household. It doesn't say anything like that. This was simply a political move. a, 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 A covenant among two nations, let's say that came at peace together. But because one of those nations is blessed by the only true God, there is an overflow of that blessing into the Philistines' people. The Philistines are now blessed by God, and get this, because that's how God said it's going to work. God's doing what He said He would. Maybe not in the eternal but certainly in the temporary. We're going to look at the eternal later. Now, if Abimelech really did have faith in God, as Abraham had faith, certainly righteousness would enter his home. We just don't read that. So we don't know. Abraham is blessed for now. He has a place to live for a long time. It says he stayed there many days. We can even say that as years. Because the next chapter, Isaac's going to be an older boy. right? He's going to be quite a few years older. So maybe 10 years he's been living at least. Right here by this well. And it gave him a place of security. A place for his family and for his servants and for his flocks to live securely with all that they needed. And so... As a reminder of that day, because people are quick to forget things, <laughs> he plants a tree. He plants a tree in that area as a commemoration. That's what I believe. A, commem- a commemoration, not in praise to Abimelech, but of course in praise to God, of God's provision and protection. This tree would grow into a tree that would provide great shade for people. And we read about God Who's the one that we are secure under. The one whose wings over us like a mother. Who is our place of refuge that we run to in danger. He is, as, as he calls him here in verse 33, He is Yahweh, the everlasting God. He is the God who always was and will always be. He is the first and He is the last. He is the beginning and He is the end. His love endures forever and His faithfulness never ceases. His love for Abraham was not dependent on Abraham but on His own choosing. He said, I will bless you, Abraham. I will. I will be your provider And I will be your protector. And so far, we have seen God uphold to that. The tree would stand as a place of shade for generations after. That here, that here, all of you may know my children and my grandchildren and my great great grandchildren, here you may know that God is with us. That he is the one who brought us here. That he is the one who kept us here. That he is the one that protected us from enemies. He is the one who provided for us in the wilderness. He's the one, the great I am. Not because I was wealthy, not because I had any sort of power, but because God is God alone. The nation that would come from Abraham was to be God's chosen people. To draw other nations to align with them. Not because they were great in themselves, remember. Not because they were great. But because through them, God had made himself known. The Lord had created Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 1 as image bearers. Those to represent him on earth. Those to rule the earth in God's authority, and God's power. But they failed. They fell into darkness. The nation of Israel was called to be the light of the nations, right? That's who they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be the ones to declare truth, to make God known to those who didn't know God. And when they heard that and saw how Israel was different than ever all the other nations, unique on the earth, they were going to rush to Israel and know their God. But what happened? Israel failed. Instead of them influencing the nations, the nations influenced them. And they brought in sin and they brought in false worship and they brought in the people that were not wanting to be Jewish, wanting to remain in their own religion. They brought them in and married them. And Israel was corrupted. The darkness of the nations invaded them and led them astray. And so Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born into the nation of Israel. A very broken and wayward nation. He was sent to lead people to the Father in heaven. Listen to how he's introduced to us. So God is our provider. It says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning With God. The word is Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as Jesus began to teach the people, he would make this incredible declaration again jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life the light that had faded and was extinguished in adam and eve at their sin the light that was extinguished in israel in their sin the light that was no more. The world lived in darkness. Upon them the sun rose. And the sun was born. He became a man for some just to be a teacher. For some he was a blasphemer. But the Father in heaven knew who he was. He said, that is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And it was Jesus For whom that would draw people to the God of Abraham. It would be Christ in his righteousness. In his perfect obedience. In his powerful life changing words. That would bring people to the God of Abraham. Where everybody else had failed, it was the God-man who stepped into our existence, our life, our the creation here. And he would speak words of life. And people would look at him and go, I have never heard words like this before. I have never heard someone teach like this before. I have never seen him do the things he had done before. Do you remember uh, the passage Dave read for us this morning? God called Israel to be What? that nation that would open the eyes of the blind and to raise the dead. And they didn't do any of that. And Jesus said, that's my mission. I have come to be the one, the one that opens eyes and raises the dead and stops the deaf ears. And I'm going to bring a people from this darkness into my light and bring them to the Father. His death and his resurrection fulfilled the covenant of Abraham and it fulfilled the covenant of Moses and it brought a new covenant and in that covenant that serpent of the garden his head was crushed and the nations that were living for that serpent may their eyes now be opened And they're being drawn to the Savior, the Redeemer. A covenant that's between them and Jesus. This new covenant that's better, that's eternal, that brings life forevermore. That we can dwell with God, the everlasting God. What we read about in Genesis chapter 21 is just a simple political covenant between two nations. But as we've been learning about covenant, we see that the covenant being made with Abraham can be so much more. Because he was tied to the only true God. And the New Testament says that if you are going to be in a covenant with the one true God, you must come as Abraham did, strictly by faith. Believe that what God says is true. That Jesus came in the flesh, God from heaven, and took upon himself your sin as he died upon that cross. And that in his resurrection, he forever stamped out the power of sin and death. And the devil lost his ammunition. And now he reigns forevermore, Jesus on his glorious throne, until he comes back for his church. Comes back for those who've been united in him by faith. And we find out now that the only eternal favor we can ever have from God is found in Jesus Christ alone. But it requires repentance of, fa- of sin and belief in his name. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. That's our hope. That's our great confidence. That eternal favor we have found. Not temporary like Abimelech. This goes so much deeper. This goes to the eternal heart of us. That longing and that emptiness in us that we've had from birth. That there has to be something more. There's got to be something. I long for just satisfaction and peace. And I long for contentment. And nothing's given it to me. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you that calmness in your soul. I'll give you a confidence for tomorrow. As a reminder of that covenant that Abraham had made, he planted a tree... Our Savior died on one. And I pray that now as we look at the cross, we don't don't worship the cross. We don't think there's any special power in a cross. It's not a talisman. You know, it's nothing like that. But it's a reminder that we worship the Christ who died on it. And it stands now forever and ever as that place where I was reconciled to God. Where I in Christ was crucified with Him. And even in heaven. In the book of Revelation. Jesus has conquered the nations. And what is the song of heaven? You are the Lamb that was slain. The great act on the cross. Is one that's going to be sung. For ages and ages. For all of eternity. That is our song. That is the theme of heaven. That we are the people bought by His blood. Made in a covenant A cut into a covenant through the blood of the Lamb. And it stands as a commemoration for us of God's covenant love to us. So that to the point when Paul goes into any place, the Apostle Paul would go and preach place after place after place. And he'd said this, For the word of the cross, it's foolishness, it's folly to those who are dying, who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Breaks my heart that there might be people here who hear this and go, that's just plain folly. That's foolishness. That's the dumbest thing I've heard. Because to us who believe it and who have experienced the risen Christ in us, we know the working power of a saving God. And we know the goodness that comes from being intimate with this God of covenant who loves and cares for us every day. But with that privilege of being called his church, of being in covenant with this living God, there is responsibility. Because Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and now you are in me. Right? So now he says, you are the light for the nations. Those who are going to draw unbelievers to truth those who are going to show God to unbelievers, those who haven't seen yet, who's still blind and deaf, those who are going to give to them the message of the gospel, the power of salvation, it's you, he says, you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, we have been made in a covenant with God, the God of Abraham, the God of Genesis. (laughs) And what a privilege that is to be called sons of God. That we can be eternally at peace with God. Blessed are you for you will see God. And for you will be given the kingdom of God. But today know that you are on kingdom assignment. That God is still growing his kingdom. That there are people for all of eternity that are going to be around the throne. And they don't know him yet. They are still under his wrath. They still live in death. They are still pursuing things that are going to kill their soul. And you know the truth. How dare we withhold it? How dare we? If God had been so kind to us to reveal to us the truth, who are we to withhold it from someone else? And there will be those in your life who call it silliness. Folliness, foolishness. But oh, those that don't! There is there is no greater joy. I guarantee you, there is no greater joy than to be the one from whose lips comes the gospel, and someone is saved. You think there is joy of having a baby? I think that might be the greatest joy, on an earthly joy but to bring someone to be a child of God. I don't think that beats anything. Church, you are on kingdom assignment to bring people into a covenant. You're living in a foreign land like Abraham did. You, you're, you, nothing here is ours. <laughs> nothing here is ours. We're, we're just here temporarily. We're just walking through. But we have an assignment. And let me tell you, the Abimelechs of the world are watching us. They're keeping an eye on us. They're seeing how we celebrate. They're seeing how we suffer. They're watching how we deal with each other. They're dealing with. They're, they're watching us how we deal with conflict. They're watching us on how we submit or not to our boss. Where they're watching us. They're watching us. Abimelech saw Abraham and goes, "I want to be on that God's side." What does the world say about Mountain View Chapel? Do they want our God? Because if our God doesn't look any different than what they're going after, they're not going to come. But if we are a light to the world, and we show the light by obeying the Lord, even if it looks foolish to the world, there will be some that say, "I, I want and they will come. I want to give you a moment just to bow your head. First thing I want you to do is repent to the Lord for the times that we were to share the gospel and we didn't. Where we were supposed to look different and we didn't. Will you repent of those times? And then ask God to give you this courage and strength not to do that again. That's what we need. Our Father, you have said that in prayer we are coming to your holy throne. So in trembling, we sit here. Not because we're afraid of your wrath, but in awe of your greatness and your majesty. We are but dust. We are weak. We are fragile. And so often we are wayward. Lord, I pray that this morning, this morning, by the power of your Spirit, you will align our thoughts with yours. That we will no longer be distracted with worldly things. That we will no longer put all of our effort and pursuit into things that aren't eternal. But that we will look for people. That we will see souls that we will unite to the church and that we will be a voice in the wilderness for those in darkness. God, we do repent. There are times that we have just failed you. We have covered the light. We have hid it under a basket. We were afraid. We were too busy. Lord, there's a whole list of excuses. Our God, will your spirit revive us, fill us, excite us? Will your words be on our lips? Lord, will you be the thing, the person that we think on? Father, turn us away from things that have distracted us. Lord, help us to be kingdom minded. You are our master. You are our father. You are our groomsman. We can't wait for you to come get us. But, Father, we long to hear well done. We long to hear well done. But if we are not active, it's not true. Help us to be obedient, that when people see us, they may not understand us, but they know we love our God. We take you seriously. We take the Bible seriously. God, will you protect us as your church? Will you continue to provide for us as your church? Will you unite us in wisdom as your church? May we go from here in your strength as your church, not as individuals, but as a unified body of Christ, equipped with the armor of God in this spiritual warfare we face, that we may run from temptation when it comes to us, that we may, in our households, love one another, serve you, that we may look to our neighbors and see how can we help them today to show the goodness of my God may that be our mindset lord help us to think this way that others may come in covenant with you and recognize and realize the goodness of the lord we serve i thank you that you are faithful i thank you that you are righteous forever and ever you are the everlasting god and in that we take all confidence Our hope rests on you alone. We praise you. We acknowledge you. We lift high the name of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.